0: Just want to let you know we're going to have a dialogue time, uh, again, at the end of, our, of, of my message. But um, if you're used to texting Chris, don't text Chris. <laughs> so Elijah's going to be doing Chris duty today, and you'll see a slide that'll come up with his number, and you can text your questions to him. Well, let me ask you, how would you fill in the blank? I wish blank. Or I want blank. Hold that thought. I'll come back to it in a little bit. Jesus summed up the whole Old Testament law this way love God and love your neighbor. And in the first message in our series, uh, the question was posed what if Jesus meant we were to love our actual neighbor? I think it's a lot easier to consider loving our neighbor who lives on the other side of the world than the one who lives on the other side of the street or the other side of the apartment hallway. So we're encouraging all of us at Knollwood to embrace a mindset of loving our actual neighbor. And as a practical step, we're asking you to do just two things, two very simple things. One is learn the names of your eight closest neighbors. and and then begin to use their names. And second, begin to pray for them. We still have some copies of this, if that's helpful for you, out in the foyer. There's your house, and just think, or your apartment, but think about your eight closest neighbors. Your diagram will look different than this, maybe. But begin to think about learning their names, using their names, and then praying for them. Now, there are many obstacles that we encounter when we take seriously Jesus' command to love our neighbor. Last week, Pastor Chris dealt with the obstacle of fear. Sometimes we we, we don't get involved with our neighbors and engage with our neighbors because we're afraid to get involved. Uh, Or we're afraid of what it might take to be a better neighbor, what might be required of me to be a better neighbor. I might have to get outside my comfort zone They actually begin to use their name. This morning, I want to tackle another obstacle. Uh, This well might be the biggest, most significant obstacle that we face in loving our actual neighbor, and that is time. You want me to develop a relationship with eight neighbors? I don't even have time for my family or for my closest friends or people at work, and now you're asking me to add them onto the list. Well, if we're going to talk about time, then we have to talk about schedules and choices. I want to say at the outset that I am not sitting in judgment on you and your choices. I don't know what they are. Um, But I think all of us do need to take a good look at our lives and our families' lives and consider whether or not we need to make any changes. So my intent today is not to produce guilt. If God brings conviction... That's his business. That's between you and him. Uh, excess of busyness is a reflection of hurry and what some call hurry sickness. Meyer Friedman, in his book Treating Type A Behavior and Your Heart, defines sickness here, hurry sickness, as above all a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less. Does that describe you? Now, this struggle with time isn't anything new. In the year 200 B.C., Plautus was cursing the sundial. Here's what he said. The gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish ours. Confound him, too, who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small portions." Wouldn't you love to bring him back for just one day in our world? Go crazy. The evidence is that people recognize this struggle with time and the impact that it has on what we say we value. My good, good friend Tom Barrett and his colleague Tim Downs have a weekly podcast called The Communication Guys. and Two weeks ago, they were referencing an article in December in the Washington Post. Uh, It was based upon the research of Dr. Anasi Bari, professor of computer science at New York University. Dr. Bari collected 600 million Twitter posts from 2018, and he and his research assistants identified the top five things the world wants based upon these Twitter posts. And so they filtered out people's answers to the statements that showed up in their Twitter, things. I wish and I want. Here are the things that people wish most, want most. First of all, love. 24% of all tweets beginning with I wish or I want said, I wish someone cared. Boy, it just shows what a great human need it is, isn't it? to be loved. Maslow even got that one right. The second thing is more time. People wish for more time, time for family, time for friends and for hobbies, for travel, for exercise. They want more time. Then they want better relationships. From Twitter posts, people indicate they want better friends, healthy relationships, and long-term relationships. The next one is they want more rest. The second most common wish from posts that began, I wish, was rest. People are tired physically, emotionally, uh, mentally. People are exhausted. And then lastly, that showed up as number five was that they want to disappear. Sadly, many people just wish they weren't around. Showing up in this category were were things like, I want to cry, even I want to die. People honestly revealing what they want, what they wish. Now, progress has brought with it many time-saving features. Just think about, for us that are older, think about what it was like for our parents, for that generation. There are devices and strategies that we have that help save time, we think. And yet we seem more busy, more hurried, more stressed than ever before. How can this be? Why are we so busy? How did we get here? Now, there are a multitude of reasons. Uh, Some more obvious than others. Some more prominent than others. Some more deadly than others. But let me just suggest some that come to my mind. One is the increase in choices and options. If you're an adult here today, just think back to how many fewer choices and options that we had growing up. You know, extracurricular school activities, um, sports, uh, the nature of school studies and and activities that are there, even church activities, it's different. There are so many options out there for kids today. Along with these opportunities, I think has come a perspective that I must do all of these things if I'm going to be successful in life. It starts with the best preschool, which is Knollwood, by the way. (laughs) It starts with the school that I'm in. It starts with going to the right university. It starts with getting, next is the right job, right? Um, As a parent, I think what's slipped into the mentality is that that it means that I must fill my children's lives with activities, which also require my time, or I fail as a parent. I didn't give them all the opportunities that were out there. Am I I in the ballpark here with these things? Here's another one. I I think that there's the equating of activity with accomplishment. You know, I must be getting something done worthwhile because I'm so busy. But we have to remember that activity does not equal accomplishment. It's easy to fool ourselves into thinking that just because you put in long hours, you've been productive. Because the corollary is if I put in longer hours, I will be more productive. Let me tell you, from this side of of my life where I am, I have come to realize the folly of that reasoning. Now, I think part of it is a sense of validation by trying to do more. So somehow we think that the more things we're involved in, the more things that we are doing, the more value our life has. But it can become this vicious cycle then as we try to find meaning in the things we do rather than who we are. Tom Barrett suggests we often confuse speed with significance and a busy life with a rich life. Now, for some, I think it's the feeling that you need to go faster. You know, some of you are adrenaline junkies. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. Please don't. But how many of you, when you approach the checkout line at the grocery store or Home Depot or a department store, try to calculate which line is the fastest? Been there, done that, right? How much time do you really think you save? But oh, let me tell you from experience, you can stew, can't you? Look at that person going through the express line with a whole basket full of stuff. Or how you, have you ever calculated how much time you actually save on an eight-mile trip by going 10 miles an hour faster than you should? Does it really matter? Now, we have a good example in the New Testament of a person who is wrapped up in busyness. In, in fact, she's somewhat known for this. Her name is Martha. So if you have your Bible, let's go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. If you want to grab the Bible in front of you there, it's page 1105. Luke, chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to start reading at verse 38. So Luke 10, starting at verse 38. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, I'm going to tip my hand here. I think that Martha probably gets a little bit of a bum rap. Okay? You know, some read this story and they see Mary as uncaring, being inconsiderate. But is that really correct? Let's think of her rather this way. She wanted to serve the Lord. She's a very welcoming person. Jesus had come to her village, and she wanted more than anything else to show him that she cared. And so she busied herself with the task of hospitality, which was such a critically important thing in Middle Eastern culture. But as so often happens to the busy person, she saw her sister was of no help at all. In fact, she's loafing. She's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach. And she was upset that Mary did not share her commitment to service, that she wasn't out in the kitchen with her getting lunch ready. And so she goes to Jesus and complains, not good, don't do that, big mistake. See, she assumes that Jesus would share her concern that she is meaningfully busy while her sister's just hanging around. I find it most interesting that Jesus does not criticize Martha's service, her hard work on his behalf. Instead, he calls attention to something else, something far more important and significant and profound. I'll come back to that in a bit. What's the impact of busyness on us? What what does busyness do to us? How does it affect us? Let me just suggest some of the impact and see if I hit home with any of these. Number one, we live tired lives. People today seem so tired, so run down, and yet they continue on this treadmill of hurry. Now, if you're old enough here, do you remember the Ed Sullivan show, the best show in the world? Some of you do. El Flasso was on several times, and his shtick was spinning plates. And so he had a long table with eight to ten sticks sticking out of it, and he went up to the first one, and he started spinning a plate on it. And then he picked up another plate and went to the second one, and then he went to the third one. Oh, but then he had to run over here to the first one, and then the second one, and the third one, and the fourth, and then he had to run back. You know what? That describes the lives of a lot of people. Spinning all these plates, trying to keep everything going at once. And they're exhausted. I think the other thing is relationships suffer. There's there's a diminished capacity for love because love takes time. Um, Tell a young couple madly in love to hurry up and get going. Doesn't work. It takes time to cultivate love. Richard Swenson in his book, Margin, writes, we must have some room to breathe. We need freedom to think and permission to heal. Our relationships are being starved to death by velocity. No one has the time to listen, let alone love. Our children lay wounded on the ground, run over by our high-speed good intentions. Is God now pro-exhaustion? Doesn't he lead people beside the still waters anymore? You know, some people even lose their families because of their frenetic lives. This was illustrated to me years ago when a high-ranking, long-serving member of Congress was retiring from office, and he had sold his life to his work, to his profession, and in the course of that, he'd lost his family, divorced from his wife, estranged from his kids. At a farewell luncheon in his honor, as he spoke to his colleagues, he he spoke about his service in Congress, and then he broke down and wept. He said, I would give it all up if I could go back and do it over again, if I could just have my family. He'd given all to the job. And now that's all he had when it was gone. I think another thing is we lose the enjoyment of life. There was a 1961 Camel cigarette ad that asked, smoking more now but enjoying it less? That might describe a lot of people with their work. Working harder, working longer, but enjoying it less. More activities than ever, but less enjoyment. And so then there's no time to savor the experience, because you're off onto another one, and you don't really enjoy what God has given you in the present. I think we also lose our passion for God and the things of God. Busyness and hurry take a toll on our spiritual lives, John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, writes, As we pursue spiritual life, we must do battle with hurry. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. There are some hard questions we all need to ask ourselves. Uh, what are the things that you value as important? What do you want? What do you wish? And then, having answered that, does your schedule reflect that? Does it conform to those values, those things you want, the things you wish? If you're a parent, what values do you want your kids to learn? Because they will learn it from you. They will watch your life. They will imitate your lives. What do you as a parent want to model to your children? Can I go back to Martha for just a moment? There are so many positives about Martha. She was attentive to the needs of others. She saw a needed task. She didn't wait for someone else to go meet that need. Jesus, remember, wasn't alone when he came to Martha's house. The disciples were along. There may well have been a number of other followers of Jesus that were there in the village and in the home. They needed to be refreshed. They needed to be attended to. One of the things I love about Martha is she wasn't afraid of hard work. The scriptures teach that when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them work to do. They were to tend the garden. Listen, work is good. It is divinely ordained. It's just the balance, it's how much it's in its place. And what is it that Jesus observed about Martha? It was that she had chosen the lesser things. It wasn't that her serving was unnoticed or unappreciated or even unnecessary. It was that she missed the better thing, the most important thing, the most significant thing. Here was the Messiah in her midst and she was so busy that she missed him. We have to be on guard in our own lives. Whatever sphere, whatever work situation that we're in, whatever our life is like. Now, here's the thing for Martha. It wasn't a hard issue. That's why I can't be hard on her. It wasn't a matter of the heart. It was a matter of priorities. And that's the challenge for all of us. So how do we get out of here? Is, Is there really hope for the busy? What are some practical things that maybe I need to consider at least as I get a handle on my schedule? How do I restore time margins? So I'm just going to touch on a few things. They're not novel. They're not new. I'm preaching to the choir. You've heard these things, I'm sure. But maybe something will strike you in there. They certainly do me. Number one is learn to say no. Boy, can that be hard to do. For one thing, we don't like to disappoint people. Our sense of self-worth is wrapped up in what other people think. And so if we say no to somebody, we might disappoint them. They will think less of me. And then we struggle with that, don't we? To say no is to risk somebody not liking us. And that is just too painful. And so we overcommit. Here's a hard one. I can't tell you how it fits to you. You have to figure that out. Cut back on activities. This will take some real discernment, some real courage, if I may. But here's the question we have to be forced to listen to. How much is enough? How much is enough? I know I'm doing the pastoral thing today. You know, the role of the pastor is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. So (laughs) here I am. You know, how, how many sports, how many extracurricular activities is enough for my kids? What's the trade off in terms of time for real family interaction, for real relaxation, for downtime with, with my spouse, with my kids, with my friends, with God? Being a better neighbor. Here's the thing you know it well. You will give time, you will take time for what you value, right? When there are things that I want to do, I'll find time. I'll make time. So really, if you tell me I don't have time for family, I don't have time for friends, I don't have time to be a better neighbor, you're not telling me a fact. You're telling me a value statement. It's what you value because you'll find time to do what it is that you value. Um, Here's another one. Separate time from technology. Do I dare carefully say some of you are slaves to technology? You've got a cell phone growing out of your ear. Hey, here's a challenge. Can you turn your cell phone off sometime? If you're eating dinner with your family, can you put it in the other room? If you're talking to a friend and your phone rings, can you check? Just make sure it's not an emergency and then hit mute. Ooh, I know. Now I've gone from preaching to meddling. (laughs) Um, Focus on the important, not the urgent. Now, sometimes the urgent is important. Let's, Let's be honest about that. But so often I find the urgent is just the squeakiest wheel. I'm amazed sometimes when when I review a day and look back on what I've done and I realize there are a lot of important things I left undone because I did what I thought was urgent and needed to do it. Now to do all this, we're going to have to establish priorities. If you don't have a sense of priorities, then other things or other people will determine your priorities for you. I love what Stephen Covey says. He says, don't prioritize your schedule, schedule your priorities. What is important? A date night, a date time with your kids all alone, one-on-one. It's being proactive about the choices that we make, the schedules we keep, the things that we do. The Living Bible, I like, uh, in Romans 12, 2, it paraphrases it this way, uh, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. If you don't determine what God wants, what God expects, what he desires, life will simply conform to someone else's plan for you, not his. Here's a big one. Be available. Swenson writes, this prescription is not a way to gain time margin, but instead a suggested way to use it up. Margin exists for the needs of the kingdom, for the service of one another, for the building of community. It exists just as we exist for the purpose of being available to God. If we commit to being a better neighbor to our neighbors, you will have to find some time margin in our lives. We'll have to find some time to be available. Now, it may not be a lot of time, but it will be some time that's needed. Next week, and again, this isn't car blanche. Next week, I'm going to talk about some boundaries that we need to be aware of in being a neighbor. Because there are some things that we really need to understand or, or, or we won't be a good neighbor in the end. I think we need to find time to be refreshed. Whatever that might look for you, however it might appear. But recharge your physical and emotional and sp- spiritual ba- uh, batteries. Fill the tanks up again. We, we need a time and a change of pace. We need to refocus on priorities, a renewed perspective on meaning and purpose. You know, we need to step back and allow God to refresh our minds, uh, renew our spirits, energize our souls, rejuvenate our bodies. I think this is the whole point of a Sabbath rest. We need some downtime. God didn't make you to run at 110% 24-7. You weren't created that way. Mrs. Letty Kalman shares an interesting story from African colonial history in her book, Springs in the Valley which was published in 1939. Listen to what she writes. In the deep jungles of Africa, a traveler was making a long trek. Coolies had been engaged from a tribe to carry the loads. The first day, they marched rapidly and went far. The traveler had high hopes of a speedy journey. But the second morning, these humble tribesmen refused to move. For some strange reason, they just sat and rested. In inquiry as to the reason for this strange behavior, the traveler was informed that they had gone too fast the first day and that they were now waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. Isn't that great? Then Mrs. Kalman concluded with this penetrating exhortation. She writes, This whirling, rushing life, which so many of us live, does for us what that first march did for those poor jungle tribesmen. The difference They knew what they needed to restore life's balance. Too often, we do not. Final suggestion. Imitate Jesus. Look at his example. He knew what it was to have incredible demands on him, demands on his time, demands on his schedule, demands on his attention, his energies. He grew tired. He grew fatigued. But he always gets away from the crowds read about it in the midst of of this tremendous time of miracles and teaching, and then it would say, and Jesus slipped away to be by himself. Do we really think we have more stamina, more energy, more strength than Jesus had? See, he knew his limits, and he knew when and where he needed to refresh his spirit, when he needed to go back and talk to the Father to renew his perspective on his mission, on his life. J.B. Phillips writes, It's refreshing and salutary to study the poise and quietness of Christ. His task and responsibility might well have driven a man out of his mind, but he was never in a hurry, never impressed by numbers, never a slave of the clock. He was acting, he said, as he observed God to act, never in a hurry. Well, I I hope you haven't felt attacked by me today. Um, You have your life. You have your schedule. You know what commitments are there. Sometimes we go through different phases in our lives and in our careers that require more time. I understand that. Um, But beware that that doesn't become an excuse to be an out of control person in your life and in your schedule. You know, I don't pretend to know the circumstances of your life, but I've known enough people who end up with heart attacks and ulcers and other things simply because of the pace of their lives. So my desire is that you're just sensitive to the danger of busyness. We're not to be slackers. The Apostle Paul is a great warning for those that are just just a a busybody not doing anything, you know, just slacking off, and, and that's not good but we're also not to run at 110%. Uh, We need balance in our lives. I think for most of us, to love our neighbor means we'll have to deal with the time issue. But you know, that same obstacle is there in terms of relating to our families and to our close friends. We're still going to deal with these same things. We need God to give us a perspective of how we're to live. And so, just a reminder again, At the end, two things we're asking you to do by being a better neighbor. One, learn your neighbor's names, use them, and number two, begin to pray for them. And next week, we're going to conclude the series by just talking about maybe some ultimate outcomes, some things that that you might want to do over time with your neighbors to get to know them better. Um, Somebody just told me this morning that they're having a Super Bowl party. They're having a stupendous dish party, (laughs) sensational, with their neighbors. Great time to invite them in, but looking for opportunities like that. We need to draw some boundaries as well around this thing of neighboring, and that's what we're going to dive into next week. Well, before we go to our dialogue time, let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would be the voice of conscience in our own hearts and minds. It wouldn't be what I say or what somebody else says, but Lord, would you bring a sense of balance uh, into our lives and for those that make need to make some hard decisions perhaps about children's activities about their activities about uh, work schedules whatever it might be lord would you just lead them would you be the one that would direct them so that when they do make a decision whatever it is they would have the conviction that it's what you want for them and lord we don't sit in judgment on anybody You've called us to deal with our own lives. But, Lord, would you be at work in us, that we would have time to spend with you, with our family, with others, with friends, even with our neighbors. And so, Lord, would you make this a week where we really feel like we're running our schedule and our schedule is not running us. And we'll thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.